A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 181 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes, Zoom, as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Herleman. And with me, like the Emperor's Wrath, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. No, no, Wrath was... Wrath was a couple times ago when we were talking about why I don't talk politics online now. What? I'm not wrathful today. <laughs> Do what must be done, Lord Butler. Yeah, or or don't do what must be avoided, pretty much would seem to be the issue that time. Speaking of issues, uh, obviously we're getting into what we talked about the last couple of times with how we're about to start talking about the Darth Vader series in this episode and the next, but I did want to point out something that might be of help to the listeners out there when it comes to these. You may have noticed that there was a recent release of the $5.99 as opposed to $4.99 first issues of Darth Vader and Star Wars as the so-called director's cut. They've got the same cover as the regular one except it's like it almost looks like it's unfinished like part of it is still black and white and the rest of it is colored in as you go kind of from one side to the other and it says director's cut at the bottom. These are special issues that have the entire first issue in it then the entire text script of the first issue and then as you get past that, it shows you essentially sketches, or not sketches, the, the original black and white artwork from individual pages before any dialogue was added, before any coloring was added. Uh, you can get it for Star Wars number one and Darth Vader number one. They are separate ones, though, so it's going to be about 12 bucks to get both of them because it's basically six each. But one thing to note with those, as cool as they are, the added content is just the behind-the-scenes stuff. There's no commentary or anything with it. And unlike the regular issue number ones and every other issue that we've seen of the Marvel stuff so far from Star Wars in this licensing cycle, so to speak, um, there's no digital download code for it. So you're buying just the physical copy or you can buy just the digital version through Comixology, but you're not going to be able to buy the one and get the other one for free the way that you do with the standard issues just in case you're thinking about picking those up and you weren't quite sure if you want to do digital or physical bear in mind it is an either or proposition you don't get uh, both for the same price interesting Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you on and off. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. 
This episode, we plunge into Marvel Comics' Darth Vader, issues one through six. This week, we're going to focus on issues one through three, and next week, we'll cover four through six. Now, before we get too deep into spoiler territory, we'll give you our quick spoiler-free rundown. Just be sure to jump off at Tarkin's Arrogance. I don't know what to think. He's, he didn't say that it perplexed you off and on. He said on and off, and I'm confused now. Um, or <laughs> the other way around. Um... Alright, this is an interesting series. Uh, we're looking at the first arc, right? So it's one through six. It's entitled Vader. Book one, Vader. So it's basically Darth Vader, Vader. That's the name of this arc. Darth Vader, colon, Vader. Very odd. Um, it's another of these series from Marvel that is essentially relaunching the saga, right? It's the first canon comics outside of Son of Death that got carried over thanks to being part of the Clone Wars. Uh, this one actually released second after the regular titled Star Wars series, and it's written by Kieran Gillen, if I'm saying that correctly, with art by Salvador La Roca and colors, which does make a massive difference seeing the black and white art versus the colored art in the uh, director's cut, by Edgar Delgado. And it's essentially, it's a three-element or three-act tale Essentially, the first couple sort of form a story, the second couple sort of form a story, the last couple form sort of a story. So you get the three acts that make up this six-issue arc, though it doesn't really feel as quite as tight of an arc as what we got with the actual Star Wars series. I find that this one, I really liked it. It was fun. It was adventurous. It had some interesting twists and turns. The art is fantastic for the most part. Uh, it's definitely, I think, more fun and a better read than the first arc of Star Wars, the Skywalker Strikes arc. However, I find that I'm sort of feeling like there's a lot of contradictions with it. Like, for instance, the art for individual panels is gorgeous. But there are times when going from panel to panel, it's hard to tell what the hell is going on. Because there is no narration in Vader is a man of few words, so the art really has to tell you what's happening panel to panel, and sometimes it feels like it skips just a little bit too much ahead, especially in, I think it was issue number two, that I had to go back and be like, what the hell did I just see? And read the whole thing again just to know what was happening. Um, it's also something that when it does what it does that's very new by the time you get to the ending, it's very different. It's unexpected. It's something we've seen to a small degree before in the Legends continuity, but not to any huge degree. Certainly not in your face like this. And it's a big deal. But at the same time, it's weird. Like, it almost doesn't feel Star Wars-y when we get to the end. It feels sort of generic sci-fi, or what if some kind of sci-fi story was trying to introduce something like the Force without actually introducing the Force because they didn't want to get into copyright and trademark issues with Star Wars? Except it's the Emperor doing it, not a company. Um, so it was kind of weird getting to the ending. The other thing about it that struck me as odd is that just like the Star Wars series' first arc, this really is something that is enhanced greatly by reading both of them. By reading the first six issues of Star Wars and the first six issues of Darth Vader as they were coming out, or just reading them both basically back-to-back -back or even hopefully you know, interweaving with each other because there are instances in which there are flashbacks and connections between Darth Vader and the regular Star Wars series. But at the same time, as great as much as that sort of makes them both greater than the sum of their parts, I wonder if this series being read in a vacuum would be entirely understandable to someone who didn't read the regular Star Wars series because there are entire chunks like 
Vader hiring Boba Fett to go look for Luke, and then Boba Fett showing up again at the end with the information about Luke's name, like we saw back in the regular Star Wars series, that is just completely dropped because that storyline then gets picked up in the other comic series. Um, Vader makes a first visit to Jabba in the first issue of Darth Vader and talks about how he has an official meeting coming up the next day, but he's there on personal business that day. But we never see that official meeting. Why? Because it's in the other series. Uh, so I'm not sure that someone could just read Darth Vader and get a clear storyline out of it, let alone the the grand, you know, interconnected story that you get by reading both of them. So it's good. And I really like it. I think it's better than the other one. But at the same time, it is this odd set of contradictions built into my way of looking at it at this point now that I've read it a couple of times. Yeah, it's funny because for me, I actually like the other Star Wars ongoing, the one with the Skywalker Strikes. I actually enjoyed that arc better than this one. But that I didn't enjoy this one is is not really the truth of the matter. I really enjoyed this one a lot. I just found this one really fragmented. So I think that that question you have of, you know, can you read this one by yourself? I think that's where I'm not enjoying this one as much because I, I kind of feel like this one does suffer more. Uh, from most of those little parts being told in the other tale. Uh, but I don't know. I, th- I think that this one's got a lot of potential, though. Um, I think because of the way, you, you know, you mentioned it being a three-act story, I-, I definitely see it fragmented. Like, they do, like, that Quentin Tarantino jumping around aspect. But I think it's allowed them to really set up a bigger picture. Um, I- I'm looking forward more to where this is going to go in the aspect of what they could do with it. I mean, you know, when, when you look at this as just a whole, you know, the, the one through six – and everything that Vader accomplishes in those one through six, as well as the angles of things that he's going to have to come at. You know, I mean, like Palpatine sets up some some hurdles, basically, that he's going to have to jump or knock these hurdles down to get past them. Uh, so so there's that angle that I like how that's playing out. But there's the angle of what Vader did on Geonosis. And I, I think that plus his new allies and stuff, I think having them be characters that seem to be mainstays so far... I think that's a brilliant idea. I, I like the aspect that there's a light versus dark here with the Star Wars ongoing and the Star Wars Darth Vader ongoing. You know, the Star Wars seems to be following the Rebels' point of view. This is following Vader's point of view slash the Empire. And I think that that is probably the smartest route to go with what they're doing. I mean, you've got Kanan kind of basically capping off the uh, the Clone Wars era you know, all the way up into the Rebels era because they kind of do like this whole flashback kind of storytelling with that. Uh, Then you've got these two telling you, you know, both sides of the story and what's basically the core moment right now. You know, I mean, like this is really the the, the fleshing out time. Uh, You know, I mean, if they're going to really be filling something out, this is kind of one of those eras that we're the most curious about coming up with, you know, aftermath would be probably the second most like what is going on? You know, everybody wants to know what's happening after Return of the Jedi. But these eras between the movies are the ones that, like, we've seen so many stories. And now it's a new canon. We don't know what exactly is those stories because there were so many before. So what direction is the story group going to lean? Well, I like the aspect that they're able to tell those tales through this. Uh, you know, and, and I think, again, with the art angle, that the art here is just glorious. And that's probably the thing that Marvel is really nailing down the most. I mean, they bring in their best artists for this series. That's something I really hope they continue going forward because, 
you know, again, as a Marvel fan, uh, a fan of Spider-Man, I can go from one delicious art style to one that just tastes like black licorice and I'm not a fan of. Uh, but you know, that's what I worry about. Like right now we're in the golden age of the Marvel comics. I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop and the art to kind of go bong dazo ish. <laughs> well, we do have the princess Leia mini series, which thankfully art wise is only a mini series because oh, that is some bad art. Oh, see. And that one I'm on the fence. Like I don't care for the art as much. It's definitely more stylized, but it's not as bad as some of the others I've seen out there, I guess. I just find that story is not as compelling yet. I don't know. But this one, I, I, I get back to your question of, you know, would it, does it suffer as a standalone? And I, I truly think it does at this moment, but I don't think that that's something that's really going to hinder it because I think these were designed to be read together. And I think that that's something that we have to keep in mind while we're reading it. Um, you know, I, I, I truly 100% think that they didn't really intend for you to grab this only by itself. They tied it in with the other one purposefully uh to get you to go out there and buy that one as well and I, I mean you know in that regard marvel's got the marketing angle down you know they flood the market with all these variant covers and stuff they and then they're doing this tie-in um you know that's the one angle about marvel where i love them and hate them you know i started out as a marvel fan but because of the way that they do this intertying i ended up becoming an avengers fan and then from there i started following other series you know, I mean, I'm, I'm into Guardians of the Galaxy because of Flash, because Flash has the Venom symbiote that originally came from Spider-Man. So, I mean, through these kind of, of intertying and interweaving stories that Marvel does, they've managed to get me into series that I would never have really followed before, only because I was following these characters down the little rabbit holes into other series. Uh, so, in that regard, that's basically what they're doing here with Vader. You know, you've got Vader's story being told, but like Nate said, you know, that, that official meeting with Jabba happens in the other story. Uh, so they've done a really good job of tying that together. Will that continue? That's a question I have. Um, I'm not adverse to it. Like I'm, I'm totally cool with it. If they want to keep going down this road, I think it, it makes for a much funner story. And I think it does force the fans to really sit there and question, you know, do I want to only go with one or the other, or do I want to go with both? I mean, I'm definitely committed to both and I think I'm going to enjoy the ride more so for it. But yeah, the question comes down to is how long will Marvel continue to weave these back and forth? All a part of the master plan. Um, I gotta say, it'll be interesting when we get done with this and the next thing on our agenda is to talk about Princess Leia, unless we're able to talk about Dark Disciple first. Um, I gotta say, it'll be interesting when we talk about that, if only to figure out which is the more jarring. Leia's back and forth crazy characterization or the artwork. Um, I will say, though, I find it amusing... That I mean, we're talking about the Marvel approach to how they wanted to sell both books. And I absolutely agree that by tying these things together, they basically made it so that you would feel like you need to read both of them and you would pick them both up and the sales numbers are going through the roof, along with the fact that they had all those ridiculous amount of variant covers that also pushed that. But I mean, we're talking about a series that's on, what, its fifth printing of issue number one, at least for the regular series, I think for Darth Vader now also, probably beyond that by the time we're, uh, that this episode's released. And yet, what was the buzzword for the entire last year to year and a half of Dark Horse? Accessibility. Right out the gate, Star Wars is saying, oh, you can read this one series, but you're probably not going to understand this other series unless you read that first series. They're ditching accessibility to some degree, though not a major degree, right out of the gate as a marketing venture, and nobody's crying foul, nobody's bitching about it. But... Dark Horse, 
abandon any sense of interconnectivity for a lot of their later stories specifically because, well, we've got to make it accessible or people won't read it. Yeah, they clearly dropped the ball in that regard. I mean, that was, I think that was, it became a running joke in a lot of ways because of the angles they were using. I mean, it was like, clearly they're just sacrificing good storytelling in the name of accessibility. (laughs) Like, you don't have to sacrifice one for the other, folks. Can I get an amen? Somewhere out there, the audience is amening at their their iPod or whatever. So say we all. So say we all. Oh, don't even start with that. I just started rewatching the reimagined uh, uh, Battlestar Galactica series and and making sense out of three different cycles of destruction and uh, just no, no. Yes, it's your fault. I was watching Caprica season one's last episode last night, and I was like, "To be continued next season." I'm like, "Oh, I thought it was only one season." I go like, "Oh, I got canceled." Okay. Oh, yes. I've been so confused by that series. <laughs> We've analyzed their attack, sir, and there are spoilers. Should I have your ship standing by? Evacuate? In our moment of triumph? I think you overestimate their chances. Now consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go on another adventure beyond the films. So we begin Star Wars Darth Vader Vader with, of course, another A Long Time Ago in a Galaxy Far, Far Away page and a nice two-page spread of Star Wars Darth Vader's logo. A little bit odd seeing that logo as opposed to a regular Star Wars logo, but it works, and it's the same way that they really gave a cinematic feel to the beginning of the other series. And we get our opening crawl. Book one, Vader, is a period of insurgence, rebel spaceships striking from a hidden base on a moon of Yavin have won a shocking surprise victory against the rightful reign of the Galactic Empire. You gotta love how they're writing this from the Imperial perspective, whereas the one for the other series is from the Rebel perspective. The Empire's ultimate peacekeeping force, the Death Star, was destroyed due to an unforeseen design flaw. Without this deterrent, the rule of law is in danger. Chaos looms. The 19 years after the vanquishing of the Jedi and his painful rebirth on volcanic Mustafar, Sith Lord Darth Vader has faithfully served his master, but now he has failed the Emperor and must pay the price. That'll be two twenty-five and a side of fries. I was just thinking of South Park. That'd be a three fifty or whatever it was that he kept saying. <laughs> uh, we don't get an opening with a spaceship in this case. We actually start at the familiar Jabba's palace on Tatooine, where we see Darth Vader walk in by himself as the gates open. I really kind of wish they had shown the gates from the outside so we could see: Are these the Blu-ray gates that are so freaking huge on the outside and teeny tiny inside? Or not, because apparently right now with with current canon, it's that whole reverse TARDIS effect. Bigger on the outside when it comes to the gates of Jabba's palace. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it has to be. I mean, that's clearly the images it brought forth from my mind was that seeing, you know, when it lifts up and you see R2 and 3PO waddle in. I expect that at some point George Lucas will explain why he decided the gates outside needed to be much bigger than what we see from the inside in the Blu-rays, just like the the rocks in front of R2-D2 that disappear depending on the viewing angle. But I expect that when he does explain it, it will be, to make another South Park reference, the Chewbacca defense, which is the, this Chewbacca, he's a wookie. Why is he on Endor? It does not make sense. And that's it. That's the entire defense. It doesn't <laughs> make sense. Because it's a Johnny Cochran, if the glove don't fit, you must acquit defense. Um. Anyway, so Vader comes in. He kills a couple of guards. He threatens... Bib Fortuna, and is able to get a brief audience with 
Jabba the Hutt. Now, this is a day before the audience with Jabba that we saw back in Skywalker Strikes. He's there uh, basically on his own. We get this great moment where you see this two-page spread. It's not really that dramatic what he's saying, just, I've only killed two. Do not make me reconsider my generosity. But you've got Vader standing on the trapdoor. You've got all the different denizens that we're used to thinking of as Jabba's palace as denizens all kind of back uh, behind him. It's it's a pretty cool shot. And Vader lays out what he wants, right? It's, a, it's not what you can do for the Empire. It's what you can do for me. And he lays out that he's going to come back the next day on official business. But before then, he basically is wanting to get a couple of bounty hunters to do a job or a pair of jobs for him. And as he's trying to get Vader to bend to his will, he's not using mind tricks, he's just using threats and whatnot. Um, and he says, you know, uh, well, Jabba says, are you brave or foolish? That is not the question, Hut. The question is, are you? Oh, Jedi, always making everything so difficult. And Vader just busts out the lightsaber, blocks some blaster bolts, kills a few fools, all making the point that he's not a Jedi, right? Lord Vader, let's not be hasty. You called me Jedi. You know nothing. Mind tricks are not of the dark side. We prefer force. Do you understand? And he kind of ironically starts choking Jabba the same way he will eventually die uh, through Leia, except this time with the force. And it's a great introductory scene and we'll find even as we move into the second arc of this series that the huts as a not really a partner but somewhat of a partner i guess kind of like a business associate of vader to get what he wants seems like it's going to be a running thread within this series the hut alliance <laughs> you remember when i saved your baby <laughs> It's interesting, though, that when Vader stands on the trap door, when he steps back, uh, you see his footprints on it. Like, I mean, on one hand, I get like they're trying to point out like, hey, you may never seen Star Wars before. So there's something about this panel. But the other part of me is like, wow, Vader must be pretty dang heavy that he's putting footprints in that tin. <laughs> so we jump to a day earlier, right? So we flash back to something we haven't seen yet which is Vader reporting back to the Emperor. And it turns out that the mission to Simon 1 that we see in the first few issues of the other series has already happened because Vader is returning and giving his report on that, which makes sense if what we just saw with Va with uh, Jabba is supposed to be the day before the, the meeting that happens midway through the other series' first arc here. And he basically explains how the Rebels completely destroyed the moon. He brought back Overseer Agadine, who apparently didn't get destroyed in the massive explosion, though he probably should have. And they're torturing the crap out of him to figure out, you know, how the Rebels did what they did. And to figure out, you know, what went wrong. And to make sure that Agadine never fails them again, assuming he even survives being tortured at that point. But we start to get a sense of how displeased the Emperor is, because now we've seen what happened with the Battle of Yavin that didn't go so well for the Empire, and now here's Simon, that's this massive weapons factory that's the biggest in the galaxy, and it's been destroyed too. The Emperor is not happy. And he lays out how basically the events of A New Hope have made the political situation for him worse, which I found kind of intriguing. He says, we kept the skeleton of the... well, excuse me... <clears throat> We kept the skeleton of the Republic for nearly 20 years while the Death Star was constructed. 20 years, my apprentice. 
All that planning is now a layer of dust orbiting around Yavin. Now we no longer have the Senate to hold order. We do not have the Death Star to force it. Our greatest weapon is gone. Our production is in ashes. We are besieged. In all these years, we have never skirted closer to disaster. Thanks to you. You tagged the Rebel ship with a homing beacon, then let the Rebels escape with the Death Star plans. Deliberately. And it's interesting to me in that sense, because he's basically giving a rationale for... And you kind of get this in A New Hope, but not as clearly. This idea that the reason why the remnants of the Old Republic that were swept away were kept around was because they needed that structure. They needed that order while the Death Star was being constructed. And they were able to sweep it away and disband it because, as Tarkin gets into in A New Hope, they were going to have the Death Star to keep the local systems in line, right? Fear of this battle station. Except now that's gone, and they've gotten rid of the Senate. So they're in a worse position than they were before the Death Star was destroyed, and really before they even made it operational, because not only are they missing the Death Star now, they also don't have the Senate as that guise of legitimacy to keep order within the galaxy, even if they were basically just a rubber stamp for Palpatine. I like that, and I don't think that's something that the Legends continuity ever really dealt with too much. This idea that it's not just the loss of the Death Star, it's the fact that they overreached, got rid of the Senate before they were able to use the Death Star to cow anybody, and, well, except for Alderaan, and boom! Now they've got a double whammy, and the Empire is even weaker than they were prior to A New Hope. Yeah, I thought that was a cool twist. I mean... Clearly, by by banishing the Republic, you know, the Senate the way they did, they lost the last bit of control and seeing it, you know, as that one angle to really tick off Palpatine. Like, <laughs> I thought that worked out brilliant. Uh, so that worked out in their favor. I, I, I like the aspect that, again, that picks up from the events that we had, you know, we know from the movie, you know. Palpatine's reactions to Vader was always something that I was always curious about. You know, what kind of ass chewing is Vader going to get here? You know, I mean, how much of this is going to fall back on Palpatine in the planning? You know, the design flaw. I mean, you know, we, we've talked about that before, about getting me over my hurdle with it being a design flaw in the first place. You know, did it need to be something the Rebels hid in there? Or was it just, you know, I, I believe it was you who, who put me on the, the path of ease with the, it being a chain reaction. Uh, so, so, you know, having Palpatine kind of like stop and talk about it and, and, you know, put it into the design, it also makes you question, you know, at what point did they start working on the Death Star 2? Were they already working on it? Cause I get the impression at this point, they really weren't like, you know, I mean that the whole aspect in legends of Palpatine, two of everything Palpatine had kind of thing, uh, you know, and that, that will be something that I think I'll be refreshingly happy to leave behind. Uh, the thought that Palpatine had a backup of every single thing like NASA, <laughs> like that's something we don't really need to see. Uh, I just want to see a pissed off Palpatine, you know, chewing some Vader meat, you know? <laughs> oh, ooh. not sure. Chewing Vader's meat is what you want to refer to. Uh, uh, angry with Vader, perhaps. Besides, as we know from Barrett, certain parts don't get burnt, so it's probably still okay. Um, uh, sorry, folks, you'd have to go back and listen to the uncensored outtakes only available through the link on Facebook for Rebels Roundtable's season wrap-up for season one because it was so off-color, we couldn't actually put it in the feed. We were afraid of people getting annoyed and needing to put an explicit label on it. Uh, or just bleeping it so it sounded like R2-D2 because you couldn't have heard yeah. anything. Yeah, R2 and Whistler getting into a fast and heated argument. <laughs> Pretty much. So Palpatine has a new plan. Basically, Vader's taken all the blame for what happened because he is the sole survivor of what happened on the Death Star. And 
Palpatine has realized that there's a better approach that needs to be taken. So Palpatine has come up with sort of a new plan, and he's putting all the blame on Vader for this. Um, think of this sort of as a series of kicks to the crotch, as Palpatine is kicking so hard that he's hoping that one of these blows will actually damage Vader's burnt testicles. Because he twists the knife once. You, an isolated survivor of the greatest military disaster in all my empire's history? Oh, you are truly the chosen one, Vader. Chosen to be the one responsible. <laughs> Which is, you know, one kick. And then... Palpatine realizes, or has realized, that there's a better way, and it's actually an opinion expressed by somebody we saw in the films. You think yourself so clever, but approve yourself a blunt instrument far better to be wielded than to wield. Tag, as in General Cassio Tag, always argued against the arrogance of the Death Star as a sole weapon. He alone was properly wary of the rebel threat. While the second Death Star is constructed, which basically means I guess they haven't started it yet, his philosophy must be dominant. It was lucky he left the station before his destruction to return to his beloved fleet, or I would have no one I could use. Boop, 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 time out. This was my moment of holy Sith. Because <laughs> this is a continuity change right here from what we saw with Legends. Well, you start raising the flag, game changer! We got a game changer over here, folks! <laughs> flag on the field. Cassio Tag did not die on the Death Star in the story group's canonical Star Wars continuity. It was always assumed that he had died and stated over and over again that he had died on the Death Star back with A New Hope in the Legends continuity. Not so this time. We'll talk more about Marvel and the tags and whatnot when we get to the second issue. But interesting that it turns out that, holy crap, he actually survived. You know, and it makes you kind of wonder how many support staff and or other characters went with him. I mean, you know, him leaving makes sense, but you could easily be like, well, and all of his staff and, and bring some other characters that might have had some face time off as well. I thought that was a brilliant twist. I mean, you know, you, you see that kind of stuff in like the classic little cartoons and things like, oh, nobody, no death. Look, hey, see, I survived the explosion. Gregor did too. So did Echo. <laughs> I'll raise you another one on that. I want to see it turn out that uh, Wolf Ularen got away from the Death Star before it exploded and Vader gets a chance to work with his old commander from the Clone Wars. Ooh, nice. That would be a good one. And see, we've got our out. Tag, tagged him. There you go. So we've got that and we've got The Apprentice Live. So now all kinds of characters are coming back from the Clone Wars era. Um, again, speculation only in that case. In the case of uh, uh, Ularen, it'd just be cool. So... This is where Vader is being sent to go meet with Jabba, uh, hence the meeting that we saw earlier in the issue, and he kicks him in the balls again with, Besides Lord Vader, a trip to Tatooine, I'm sure it will be sentimental. <laughs> well, damn! Although it's interesting that we do find later on, and I believe it's issue seven of the other series, uh, a similar reason for why it made sense for Luke to be hidden on Tatooine in the first place. With his freaking step-family, of all things. Which is this idea that Vader would never voluntarily choose to go back to Tatooine. So it's interesting here that this may, possibly, be the first time that Vader is actually returning to Tatooine since the events of A New Hope. That might be the case, it might not. But here you've got the sentimentality joke running for Palpatine, 
and we're going to find that Vader tried to avoid the planet, hence why Luke would be safe there. Maybe this time they'll actually stick to that idea and Vader actually won't constantly be going back to Tatooine in the interim the way that he tended to do back in the Legends continuity. Gotta wonder. Mm-hmm. Palpatine then walks away into a new meeting with a dude who Vader doesn't recognize, uh, Silo Four, who is basically this guy. He's like a, a, a cyborg dude with a cybernetic eye and, and other parts that run across the other side of his face. Vader's like, oh, really? Who is this, master? No one you need know. Oh, are you trying to hide something from me? A lord of the Sith asking questions and expecting them to be meekly answered? You're a poor apprentice if you think so. Oh, well then, now Vader has something else to be pissed about, because now he's being shut out on that. And we see his meeting, of course, earlier in the issue, and then that's when he sets up the whole I would like to have some bounty hunters thing, and a day later, which presumably is after meeting with Jabba, but not the next day, because the very next day would have to be the uh, uh, the meeting that we see in the other series. This must be between that meeting and this one, late in the same day as earlier in the issue. We see Vader meet with his bounty hunters that he's hiring. Boba Fett? Of course, because it's Star Wars and he needs a bounty hunter, and who else are you going to choose so that Boba Fett can be a big part of the back half of the first arc of Skywalker Strikes and the other series? Boba Fett is hired, and Boba Fett's the one that's hired to hunt down Luke. Uh, there's an X-Wing pilot. He knew Obi-Wan Kenobi. He left this planet aboard a smuggling vessel called the Millennium Falcon. And Boba's sent after him, so we see why Boba would be hunting the way that he was in the other series. And then there's this big... Burly, but we don't know very much about him at all. Wookie named Kurstan or Kurstan or or, Kur, or I guess it's not Kurstan. It's, I'm missing a syllable. It's Kursantin. Kursantin. Yeah, it's and Black Kursantin. Yeah, Black Kursantin. And Kursantin is basically sent to basically capture the dude that Palpatine was just meeting with, so that they can have a conversation. So here's Vader's sort of, he's like, oh, I will just accept the fact that I'm going to not know what the Emperor is doing. Bullcrap! And he's just going to figure it out on his own, uh, whether Palpatine wants him to or not. The other angle about that is, like, when Sidious brings that gentleman in, he's asking Vader, you know, is there anything else? And there's, like, two pages of flashbacks of everything that's been going on in the Skywalker Strikes up to this point, and A New Hope itself. And Vader's like, no, nothing, nothing to worry about. It's like, at this point, I don't know if this is the first time he's really keeping secrets from Sidious, but they kind of write it that way. It's like, you know, as you mentioned, it's all these kicks to the balls, and then all of a sudden, Vader's like, mm, I'm going to hold on to this. This is true, and it's a pretty cool set of flashbacks. I actually, this is why I should be flipping through my digital copy rather than my physical copies while we're doing this this time, because I literally skipped over those two pages. I turned them as if they were together. Um, but it's interesting because... It's flashbacks that are actually rather accurate in terms of the dialogue. Usually in comics, you'll see something that's a flashback to something else, and a lot of times the dialogue is very different, or uh, the way this, that, that it's staged is different. In this case, some of the, the way it's staged is slightly different, but the dialogue is the same. We get to see a quick shot of Vader battling Obi-Wan from A New Hope. We get an interesting moment after that, presumably as the Millennium Falcon is escaping, where... 
believe it's supposed to be Chief Bass, is saying, you know, who was he, Lord Vader? An old man who thought he could help gifted children. But he was mistaken. I guess gifted children in Star Wars don't mean they're particularly smart. It just means they've got force abilities. Then uh, we get a flash. You know, I thought that was Jergerod. Jergerod is from Jedi. Oh, is he in the last one, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I just he had that jawline, so that's who I thought it was. <laughs> that was way off. So we got that. We got Vader's, you know, the force is strong with this one during the Battle of Yavin. And then we get... Uh, Luke's dialogue, it's Vader and Luke, with Luke's dialogue from the other series. Now, I was there on the Death Star. I saw what you did to him. You killed Master Kenobi, although he's not exactly in the same position um, physically as he is in the panels where he says that in the other series. Yes, I'm nerdy enough to have checked. And then we get Vader looking at the lightsaber. Wait, this lightsaber. I know this weapon. This once belonged to, and that's where they were interrupted. So that's another carryover from the other series. I believe it was in issue number two. And then we've got the boy. Obi-Wan gave him my saber, and we see the Millennium Falcon flying off, uh, as was the case back in issue number three of the other series. So they're doing a good job of linking this not just with the films through flashbacks, but with the other series. But again, are people really entirely going to understand what's going on if they're just reading this issue, not the other? Because, I mean, even that, issue number one of the other series came out, then this issue came out, and we still had another couple issues of the other series to come out to show us those events. This is the first issue of Vader showing us events that hadn't happened yet in the other series in terms of the order in which they're being released. And that worries me a little because it makes me wonder how well they're going to try to play these back and forth if they're going to continue doing it and to what degree they're going to wind up spoiling themselves from time to time. And I'm looking at the fact that Vader now has issue number seven out and issue number seven of the other series got pushed back. If they keep having issues where things are getting pushed back and they've written stories that are supposed to be in sync as they're released, they're either going to have to hold one to wait for the other or they're going to get out of sync very, very quickly. So I'm a little concerned with that, but it plays out very well as you read these stories if you're not thinking them in terms of how the release order worked. Uh, good points. You know, the other thing I wanted to mention about the Coruscant uh, scenes before we move away from that completely, the immensity of the detail there. I mean, there, there's little details in the carpets, the background buildings. There is some precision art going on in this scene that I, I truly appreciate, this, the finer details here. We end the issue with an interesting two-page spread that's basically just, oh, and by the way, while he was there, Vader just decided to kill a whole bunch of Tuscans. Just for the hell of it. Delayed rage. Uh, I think this pretty much confirms, unless somehow these are members of the same Sand People group, that Vader killed back in Attack of the Clones and some of them managed to escape, which doesn't make sense because he does say in Attack of the Clones that he killed them all, even the women and the children. I'm pretty sure this confirms Vader is just straight up racist when it comes <laughs> to Sand People. <laughs> he serves some time in Iraq. He is the space Hitler when it comes to the sand people. And the sand people are apparently the space Jews in that, that scenario. Although, you know, there's, a, there's a, a desert backdrop that somewhat makes sense with Middle Eastern history. Anyway, suffice to say, Vader kills them. And thankfully, I think, because I didn't really want to see him spend even more time standing around on Tatooine. Thankfully, we jump ahead into what almost feels like a separate story for the next issue. Uh, book one, part two, Vader. Again, is a period of insurgence, the Empire's ultimate peacekeeping force. What? The Death Star was destroyed due to an unforeseen design flaw. 
without this deterrent. The rule of law is in danger. Chaos looms, as was the case in the previous issue. Due to his responsibility for the disaster, Darth Vader has fallen in the eyes of Emperor Palpatine. Grand General Tag is to command the response to the rebellion. Unknown to the Emperor, Vader is quietly pursuing his own interests, the mysterious four-strong pilot who destroyed the Death Star. And we pick up with, basically, there is a cargo that's one of the cargoes for the Empire that Vader negotiates with Jabba to get in the other meeting from the other series. Right? So, that negotiation has been made. This is one of those cargoes, and it's being attacked by raiders. And Vader gets involved in the fray uh, using his TIE Advanced uh, Starfighter, of course, like we see in Rebels and like we see in A New Hope. And we get some very interesting strategy and philosophy discussion between him and General Cassio Tag, or excuse me, Grand General. I almost made the same mistake Vader did. Grand General Tag. I like the Grand General as opposed to Grand Admiral, because he was a general, not an admiral initially, given uh, his branch and all. And I, I love the philosophical conversations that they have about this. Um, he says, for instance, uh, in times of unrest, it always peaks, that is, um, uh, attrition rates. In the wake of disaster of the Death Star, this is entirely normal. I look at the state of the Empire and think, how many Super Star Destroyers could we have made with the resources we threw into Tarkin's folly? Tarkin had vision. You have graphs. I have graphs and command. My plans may not be as glamorous or grand as yours or the departed Tarkin's, but they work. The Starfleet is a sea. It is endless, cannot be beaten, and given enough time, turns even the strongest rocks into sand. Our larger plans cannot be based around any individual asset. Not a Death Star, not you, Vader. Such assets are best used, if you'll pardon the phrase, as a force multiplier. And he later goes on to say, In time, you will understand that this is all for the best. You should think of yourself, that is Vader, as your lightsaber, a singular weapon from an older time, and one that is dangerous to everyone around them without a skilled hand to wield it. In time, you will understand that I am the skilled hand you've been waiting for. I think th this conversation perfectly sets up me to sit back and say, holy crap, Tag rocks. I mean, Tag isn't, you know, Thrawn genius where he can see everything as if he's some kind of, you know, like the last Highlander or some crap. He actually is a brilliant strategic mind, and his arguments make sense. He is a practical, solid military commander with a vision for what the Empire needs to do to succeed. I have never given this tag, or any tag, which we'll get to momentarily, that kind of respect as a character previously. Yeah, Tag's got the Wolf Yolaren or the uh, Gilead Paleon style to himself. Um, I, I thought that was cool, too. It's interesting that he's calling the Death Star Tarkin's Folly. Uh, you know, I kind of wonder if that's like a name that's catching on in the Imperial fleet right now. Uh, the other thing that was interesting, too, is that in the crawl, they are referring to the peacekeeping station as the Death Star. Uh, and I always get a kick out of that because I'm like, it's funny to think that the Empire would ever use that term. <laughs> and they're 
for this station. Like, you know, the planetary peacekeeping space station, things like that, uh, you know, uh, mobile defense force, things like that I could see, but the Death Star. Don't worry, citizens of the galaxy, we have a Death Star to protect you. Don't worry about anything but death from our star. Like, I don't know. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry over Fourth of July weekend, ladies and gentlemen. We are going after ISIS with the newest weapon in our arsenal. I call it Look there. Q ISIS. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's just the one that really gets me, like, I don't know. I mean, it's, so hearing Tag call it Tarkin's Folly at this point, I'm like, okay, that's, like, I wonder if that's a tongue-in-cheek reference that everyone's using now, because they're all like, ha Death Star, yeah, it's dead, all right. So, we find that, basically, this uh, Corellian Corvette ship that was being used to raid the Imperial shipment, it was robotic. And they're able to basically refit the inside of it and camouflage it enough that they're able to use it to track down the base that these pirates are operating from. These rebels, pirates, whatever you want to call them, are operating from. But Vader will not be alone. He has an adjutant with him, a little assistant type guy, who in a sense is also there to keep an eye on him for tag, named Oon-Ai. Odd name, Oon-Ai. More bizarre than most of the other names that we get throughout this particular series. Vader... Does a quick, you know, check of the systems and everything. Uh, Unai makes a, a note here. Oh, there's a communications here log with a bounty hunter named Boba Fett. So it's a private matter. I'll explain when we return. As soon as he says it, you're like, oh, crap. Unai's dead. Unai gonna die. You was thinking Unai gonna die? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And Vader brings a droid with him. Which is, the droid winds up playing a major role within the issue, but he's one of those things that I think a lot of times within the action and the artwork, sometimes it's, it's easy to lose sight of him, which I think is, is, is the trouble that I had. So the ship carrying Vader, carrying some stormtroopers, carrying Unai and carrying the droid shows up at that base, that pirate base. And as Vader goes in, we see the droid activating a terminal nearby. And we see a quick battle sequence where basically, you know, the, the defenders are screwed. They've got droidicas, they've got their own blasters, but they're screwed. They're facing Vader and they're facing stormtroopers. Vader's just going to tear them up by turning missiles back on the droid because they're going to get wiped out. Now, in the process of this attack, you're seeing these intercutting scenes with that droid. We see it accessing a terminal. We see it going outside the ship, traveling all the way to another terminal, and then traveling back to the original ship. And you're like, oh, well, what is it doing? And we see Vader in the midst of the battle then, after the droids completed its mission, with Unai going into uh, like a command center type area, like a security station type area within that at that uh, uh, pirate base and downloading some information. They then take off, figuring that everything is good to go. And when they get back, they report to Tag that uh, the pirates were backed by the Crimora. Now, I'm curious about the Crimora just because they've now been mentioned over and over again in these new canonical materials. It's in the comics, it's in the books. We haven't really seen much of the Crimora Crime Syndicate. Surely they're going to be doing something major that they're building up to if they're constantly dropping in this name for this crime syndicate that we haven't really seen. Um, yes, they were mentioned in Dark Disciple as well, right? I believe so. I know they were mentioned back in Tarkin. Um, and what's interesting about this is that then he's like, oh, I figured out something else. You're wrong in one crucial area. There is a leak. The leak 
is Unai. Bum, bum, bum. I suspected him. He was so close to you. He knew your methods, etc., etc. You must watch the next agent very closely. I'll be watching them as closely as they watched me. Mwah, uh, 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 uh. And it basically gets Unai off of his back. And initially I was like, okay, and how does this tie into what we just saw a second ago? Like, he got that information from the little stick thing he downloaded on? It was only on the second reading that I realized that it's it's that the key is the dialogue at the bottom of that page where he he's handing over Unai. You've purged all evidence of your data upload? Because it sure looks like what happened is that he wanted Unai off of his back, especially because he was already starting to pry into his private communications and such with Boba Fett, and he had the droid upload false information implicating Unai into the pirate base computer so that he could then download it himself and use it as evidence to get rid of Unai. That sure <laughs> as hell looks like what just happened. That actually explains a lot, and I did not even put that together until you said it. It's like, ah... Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, even like a little thought bubble that would have been nice to help get to that conclusion. Because, yeah, if you hadn't pointed that out, I'd continue to not. I would never put that together. Exactly. The little droid thing made no sense to me whatsoever on the first reading. I had to go back and read it again to, specifically to figure out why we're following that droid as it's doing what it's doing and how he fits in with the rest of it. Because there is no narration. Vader barely speaks. This is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the artist doing a great job panel to panel. But in trying to string them together, sometimes it really isn't clear what's happening, partially because it's not served by dialogue at the time. But, you almost uh, have to wonder, though, if Vader's got some internal program that allows him to communicate with droids you know, kind of like uh, in A New Dawn, uh, Vidian, how Vidian was able to do it. You know, the internal communications. Like, that would make Vader a hell of a lot more scary, knowing that he's able to just be having full-on conversations and never speaking. You're like, oh, he's plotting my death right now, aren't you? Say something! Just say something! Why don't you ever talk? I don't trust you, man! What are you doing behind my back? Like, oh, that'd be a fun angle. Yeah, but then all of his friends would be droids and his conversations would become creep, you know? Hey, look at the nuts and bolts on her. You know, we just... Uh, <laughs> not sure about that. Um, but he's not a good friend of the droid because the droid, he then sends out the airlock to self-destruct. Again, because it's a way of, of having, you know, the loose ends closed off, essentially. And Vader's realizing that really no one around him can necessarily be trusted to do his will as opposed to the Empire's or Tag's or whomever's. Which brings us to, as Mark was mentioning, so the gathering of his own team as we move into issue number three, the last issue we're covering for this specific episode. We'll cover the other three in the next. So we move into issue number three. Turmoil has engulfed the Galactic Empire. After the destruction of the Death Star, the disgraced Sith Lord Darth Vader has been demoted by his master, only to have his control be taken by Grand General Tag. And when Vader discovered that a mole has been leaking information to pirate raiders, it was made clear to him that no person can be trusted. Unknown to Emperor Palpatine and Tag, however, Vader is also quietly pursuing his own interests, the mysterious four-strong pilot who destroyed the Death Star, and the identity of the stranger who is conspiring with the Emperor. But for this, he will need his own personal secret forces. And we pick up not with Vader, but with the mysterious woman known as Dr. Afra. I really wish they would give this woman a first name, because just calling her Afra all the time when I'm summarizing these for the timeline feels weird. It's like, I mean, is she supposed to be like... Madonna? No, she's like McStuffins. Doc is her first name. No, I'm thinking it's more like, you know, it's a name that maybe means something. Maybe Afra means something like 
Madonna. Okay, that was the at the uh, the the singer's name. Or is is she's still alive? That's her actual first name, Madonna, as in like uh, uh, mother of Christ, as in Mary the Virgin, uh, uh, with the, her last name, her real last name, Sicone, uh, C I C C O N E, which I believe roughly translates as I'm actually the exact opposite of a virgin, um, something like that. Um, <laughs> Maybe there should be some kind of name attached that, that that someday we'll realize, oh, wow, there's something important about why we only know her as Afra. But it seems weird to have just the one name to me, especially given that she's becoming a major character. You know, the interesting thing about this, this is the one comic so far of this series I have the physical one. Because when I went down to the comic store, my comic guy was like, hey, do you have this one? This one's going to go fast. And he's like... <laughs> They're introducing a new character as a new female character. And I was like, oh, okay. He's like, th- th- this was going. So I got one and I was like, sure enough, it sold out really fast. Like something about this character ignited a little internet wildfire where everybody was like, we got to get this issue. It's a new character. And I'm like, I don't know who got that ball rolling, but it made it all the way into the physical shops. Cause yeah, my comic book guy was like, Hey, this is going fast. You, you know, he knows like if there's certain issues that I may never find again, when to tell me, like, hey, you might want to jump on this grenade. And so I bought it, and then after the fact, I learned out it was just that character. I'm like, really, this is all? There's, what's so controversial about this? Why are we buying this in mad numbers? Like, I, I, I have no idea what was going on at that moment. But, yeah, for some reason, this one started selling, and I got a physical copy because of it. I think it's because, aside from the fact that she's a new character, there's also that cover that you know gives you that sense that this is going to be like the new Leia C3PO and R2D2 type thing only for the bad guys type of, of look to the cover but it's mm-hmm. also i mean aside from Sana Solo eventually showing up this is the first major new character unless you count that brief glimpse of Silo and that brief glimpse of Kurstanen um that's being introduced in the Marvel series uh, in a sense right well i mean maybe Evan from the Princess Leia series but i try very hard not to think about that series so <laughs> She's on this quarantine world, quarantine world three in Kaladahin space, and she she's almost like an Indiana Jones type character, except instead of going into ancient ruins, she's following leads on unusual technologies, and she wants the so-called triple zero personality matrix, not triple zero as in Coruscant. Forget what you know about that type of designation. Unlearn what you have learned. In this case, it's a droid personality matrix. And she breaks her way in using this weird dust made of uh, micro droids, like nanobots basically, makes her way through this, this sort of grueling set of challenges to get there, only to wind up accidentally tripping an alarm and being caught anyway. So she's caught by this Polis Masson guy named Utani Zane. Jane, it's another one of those, hey, we're going to put an X in the name type of things. Um... And she's making the argument that it's, again, it's the reverse argument of Indiana Jones here, right? It's not, it belongs in a museum. It's, it should be in an armory. Like, this thing has been quarantined for centuries because of how bad it is. It should be being used to kill people, damn it. Which is a little different. Um, Vader has tracked her down and arrives and saves her essentially at the last minute. She tries to get away thinking that he's actually possibly coming after her. She almost drops the personality matrix over a a Cloud City-esque edge and manages to catch it. Um, And instead of killing her, which is what it looks like, because he just killed Yutani, he says, Dr. Afra, I have need of you. And once they're back aboard her ship, uh, the Archangel, interestingly enough, Arc is an A-R-K, the Archangel 
he's kind of laying out what's going on, and it's just it's it's an interestingly civil conversation for Vader to be having for someone who's a Dark Lord of the Sith with this woman. And it's interesting because the woman, this this rogue archaeologist, as she calls herself, she kind of admires him. Like she's this weird, giddy adventure junkie type person where even if she knows working for Vader is gonna probably end up with her dead in the end, she's good with it because this is cool. Yeah. More or less. It's she's a very interesting character and kind of fun in that regard. Um he points out he says, I recently destroyed some of your reactivated droids, the ones that he fought at the pirate base. They impressed me. So now he's wanting them as uh, that type of droid from her. She asks how he found her, and we get this crazy quick set of flashbacks that aren't to anything we've seen before. But basically it's just Vader killing a dude, killing a dude, killing a dude. Killing another dude. And <laughs> she's like, actually, I don't want to know, do I? And she takes that personality matrix with Vader's amazing help of unlocking it somehow with codes that... She, she said, you know, you've unlocked it. You didn't have the codes. How did you do that? Uh, I'm assuming that is supposed to be just his great technical prowess as Anakin. Unless we eventually find that maybe Vader helped design this at some point, but that wouldn't make sense if it goes back centuries unless somehow, you know, he helped quarantine it or something. It just Ooh. is odd. It's, but he somehow knows how to get, how to break the encryption. They take it, stick it inside this protocol droid, this uh, like dark gray silvery protocol droid that now is known as Triple Zero. Uh, I love the introduction. I am Triple Zero. I'm 000, or triple zero, if you prefer. I'm a protocol droid specialized in etiquette, customs, translation, and torture, ma'am. Charmed to meet you, I'm sure. And she imprints uh, both herself and Vader as his master. So, so she's automatically giving him control over the droid without being asked. Uh, better not shake hands, then. May root a fatal shock through my palm. Old habits die hard and all that. And in my experience, they certainly die harder than most organics, ma'am. And there's no one here to murder presently. How may I be of assistance? <laughs> and it turns out that she's actually got another droid. And this has all been kind of like a breadcrumb trace to get to this droid. Uh, BT-1, a blastomech prototype. Uh, essentially an astromech-looking droid that's, that's just a cover because it's a specialized assassin droid. Entirely homicidal, as she says, uh, that wiped out... It's Tarkin Initiative base before setting the place to self-destruct and jettisoning it into space. What is the Tarkin Initiative? We don't know yet. Hopefully that will be eventually explained. Um, she found it, uh, fitted it with some strong behavior inhibitors, but can't get it to actually wake up because the core identity only speaks the base language of the R&D place where it was created, and that disappeared along with it. She needs Triple Zero to actually be able to get through it because Triple Zero was also a product of the Tarkin Initiative, which again... So he couldn't possibly be centuries old that, right? They were quarantining something else, and he was put in there at some point along the line. Because if he's also a part of the Tarkin doctrine, there's no – or Tarkin initiative, there's no way he could, well, it could be centuries old. You or, would think, or, unless maybe it's that the droid itself, like the droid body of Triple Zero was from the Tarkin initiative. Or maybe yeah. the Tarkin initiative goes back to some other member of the Tarkin family because they flat out say early on – there's a reason why the triple zero matrix, not just these things in general, but the triple zero matrix has been quarantined for centuries. So there's a lot of question as to where this came from, how it fits in with the Tarkin family. And yeah, it's, it seems 
odd. There's something more to those characters that hopefully we'll learn in the future. Again, just like we'll hopefully we'll learn Aphra's other name. Yeah, I mean, maybe Vader, maybe Vader was part of a program or had some insight into what was going on with Tarkin's initiative. I don't know. When, when he was the one that, that put in the code, I had that kind of feeling like when we were in New Jedi Order and Anakin Solo sat down into the uh, center point station and brought everything to life. You know, that, that infinity that he had with machines. Like, I always figured he got that from his grandfather. Uh, so that was kind of where I was going. It was like, oh, Anakin still got that ability to just kind of touch a machine and kind of know how it works. We get a further, again, great moment with Afra, with Vader being the one who doesn't talk much. She reveals a lot about herself in the way that she interacts with Vader. Um, she's going, well, that's another activation survived when they get BT-1 working. But who am I talking to? This must be a quiet day for you. Fitting in a meeting with me before getting back to your busy schedule of applying a jackboot to the throat of the rebels, huh? You are overly fond of speaking. I'm nervous. I make my living reactivating weapons like this pair, and you make me nervous. There's something about tall, dark, and able-to-kill-me guys that makes a girl nervous. What do you want from me? There was a time I had armies at my beck and call. That time has passed. I need resources of my own. Private resources. I was abstractly meant to be delivering these two, that is, Triple Zero and BT-1, to the droid Gotra, another organization we've had pop up in the new canon repeatedly. But you're my next mission, aren't you? And the next, and the next. You're what I've been looking for all my life. Whoa, that just gave me shivers. This woman is screwed up! <laughs> but she's interesting in that she's, she's looking at this as, this is freaking awesome, instead of looking at it as, holy crap, I'm scared to death, what do I do to get out of this? She's like, Okay, great. And she knows where to find more of these droids at an unusual droid factory. They don't explain what the unusual is until the next issue. An unusual droid factory on Geonosis. We have another great moment of, how do you feel about a secret mission to Geonosis, Lord Vader? And Vader just gets a, a, a panel of saying nothing, where it's like, uh, I have no feelings regarding Geonosis. Which, you know, is something interesting for him to say. It's him, of course, hiding that Anakin identity because of course he has feelings about geonosis he's been there and she said good then we need to move i won't let you down wise afra that would be a mistake and on that note the third issue just kind of ends i really wish there'd been more of like a cliffhanger to it but that issue actually it is my favorite of all the issues so far of the darth vader series because it introduces afra triple zero bt1 gives them such great personalities that leap off the page immediately and really intrigued me i i was afraid that afra was going to be someone who'd show up just in this arc and now it appears she's going to be playing a major role in the next arc so i'm psyched to see where that character goes from here um it's a bold move for marvel creating a character that that's that's that much against the mold and in your face and making the character a woman so i gotta give gillen props for that one well more than just a woman i mean i'm struck looking at these last two pages by the uncanny resemblance to Padme Amidala. I mean, here is a character that you could have Vader fall in love with, uh, you know, or obsess with because she reminds him of someone he loves. Um, you know, I, she's a character that I don't want to see just disappear. Same with the droids. 
Uh, you know, and you mentioned her being like an Indiana Jones character. She flat out is Indiana Jones. I mean, when you look at the, the those opening scenes where she's running and once she trips the alarm, I mean, there's a moment where a panel drops down above her and a droid Dakar starts rolling down all of Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. And she immediately turns and rolls and jumps through the door as it's dropping last second. The old Indian, I mean, all it's missing is her reaching through and grabbing the hat. Uh, you know, I, I really like the fact that she keeps saying she's a rogue archaeologist on top of it all. Uh, so, you know, that there's definitely that angle. Uh, but she also has that mad scientist angle as well when she's working on the droids and stuff. So I love the twists to the character. I really hope she's a character that stays around as the droids, too. I would love to see them, even if if her and those two droids end up becoming like Vader's little special unit, like NCIS or something where he sends them off on their own missions. I'd be okay with that. These are characters I want to see stick around. Um, I think the danger about having a series called star Wars, Darth Vader is that you could potentially focus on Vader too much. Um, Rebels was very aware of the fact that they don't want Vader to become that mustache twirling villain that never catches the bad guys. And I think anytime you have Vader prominent, unless you're constantly making him just, you know, the Luke Skywalker post New Jedi Order Superman character where he's just ungodly powerful and no one can touch him. Unless you're making every story like that, you run that risk of making him that constant, always in Palpatine's, you know, crap list, you know, that character. And that's the character you don't want him to be because that's what Legends in a sense kind of did to him. We saw him always go up against people and fail time in and time out. And Palpatine was always chewing him out time in and time out. That's an angle I hope that we don't see. So if they you know, focus more on these three characters, bring them more into the fold, give them more missions and stuff where we can have page time on them while Vader's doing other things and stuff, I think that it will help the global story of Star Wars in the regards of Vader's character. Because I think that's the dangerous part when you've got a series focusing on him, is you could really show too much of him and, and really destroy the image of him as that almighty villain. I mean, they really got to tiptoe that line carefully, and I think she's the key to doing it here. Oh, I absolutely agree. It's the supporting cast that are going to make all the difference in this. There need to be interesting supporting characters, but not just people for him to go up against. There needs to be some on his side, and Afra Triple Zero, and to a lesser degree, BT-1, because he doesn't really do a whole lot yet. They are major steps in that direction. I was kind of grumbling initially when I was, oh, we're on the first issue and Boba Fett's already here. And we know from some of the solicitations, he's going to be in later issues of Skywalker Strikes. Wonderful. We're already back to the freaking Boba Fett well, where, oh, we're going to buy it because it's Boba Fett, and Boba Fett is cool because Boba Fett is Boba Fett, which is an idiotic reason to think that he's cool, because he's him. Um, but thankfully, his is only a brief appearance, and when they actually start building supporting characters, it's them. And it seems like even Kersantan, the Wookiee, may be able to grow in that regard because he does show up, as we see in the first issue of the next arc, as a possible individual working with Afra, whether for Vader or aside from his interest. I think for Vader, um, but we can't really tell by that first issue just yet. So it's interesting that they're building this set of new characters that are actually getting a chance to develop, and develop well quickly. I just wish we knew her first name, which is why it's kind of weird that we don't know her first name when she is such a prominent character in the series, seemingly from there on out. Now, one thing I want to get into with this before we leave this episode and these three issues is the tags. 
it's interesting to me that it would be Cassio Tag, of all characters, not Mahdi, not Ularin, but Tag, that Marvel decided to bring back for this new canon, or the story group approved, maybe the story group dictated it, whatever, to bring back as this new grand general character leading the Imperial forces. Because Marvel has an interesting history with the tags. Marvel produced, for those who don't know the context of it, I'm sure you know at least most of the context of it, um, Marvel produced Star Wars comics that weren't meant to connect with any other media out there like the novels and whatnot back in the 70s and 80s. They started in 1977, ran all the way up through 1986 with their main series, 107 issues, a four-issue Return of the Jedi miniseries, and three annuals. They also had a Droids and Ewoks comic series, or two comic series, Droids and Ewoks, under their star imprint for young readers based on the cartoons that ran into 1987. And then when they ended, we had in 1987 and 1988, very, very briefly, the Blackthorn Star Wars 3D series, which then led to a three-year gap with no Star Wars comics, actually, more like two full years with no Star Wars comics, uh, 1989 and 1990, before we got 1991's Dark Empire that then was part of that official continuity, now the Legends continuity. The Marvel stuff was eventually brought back into the continuity in the early 2000s, but initially it was sort of a standalone thing. But it was Marvel that was really pushing it in terms of comics. Uh, and eventually there was the newspaper strips, but not quite as early as the, as the Marvel comics were. And in the Marvel comics, before the events of the Empire Strikes Back, you get this character of Ormond Tag, Baron Ormond Tag, and the building up of Tag Co. and the Tag family as like this nobility in the galaxy far, far away, in the Legends continuity now, who had this massive company that is a major supplier and affiliate of the Empire. And Baron Ormond Tag was like the family leader. And he was a weird character in that he had lost his vision in a battle with Darth Vader, where Vader used his lightsaber to blind... Um, Ormond. And Ormond now was using these big funky glasses called Cybervision goggles to be able to see. Think Geordi LaForge before Star Trek The Next Generation ever existed. And he had created his own lightsaber to eventually battle Darth Vader someday to get revenge for his blinding and usurp his place in the Emperor's eyes, even though Ormond didn't have any Force sensitivity. He was just becoming very, very good with the lightsaber. It's actually him that Luke has his first lightsaber duel in the Marvel comics with, not Vader. And eventually, we learn that there's even more members of that family, because then we are introduced to Silas Tag, who is this mad scientist-type character working on uh, a super weapon that basically flash-freezes entire regions, and their ally, an Imperial officer, Ulrich Tag. They intended for Ulrich Tag to be the character that we saw as General Tag in A New Hope, because he was never given a first name. That was supposed to be him. And eventually, by the time you get towards uh, the, where, uh, the Empire Strikes Back, uh, Orman, Ulrich, and Silas are basically out of play. Orman has been basically uh, put in stasis and then brought back out and forced to fight Luke under the illusion that, it's, that he is actually Vader, not Orman, and Luke has killed him in a lightsaber duel as a way of Vader sort of clearing the decks of this rival for his power. And all of this is happening on the planet Monastery, which is this uh, the home of this religious order where the other, tar uh, the other tag sibling, Domina, was sent by Orman to keep her innocent. Except now she's just seen her brother get killed, seen what happened to the rest of her family, heard the lies that come from Vader... And she's willing to side with Vader against the rebels, 
even though Orman, the brother she liked, hated Vader. And by the time all is said and done, leading into Empire Strikes Back, she has a grudge, a heavy grudge against Luke for not saving Orman during everything that happened on Monastery. And eventually she comes back uh, after the Empire Strikes Back in one more story that sort of rounds out the story of the Tag family for the Marvel series. But they are a huge part of the Marvel series in the pre-Empire Strikes Back era, and they tried to bring the movie character back already with Ulrich Tag. It was only later when the official continuity and the, or the Legends continuity developed that they then said, no, Tag actually died on the Death Star. Ulrich was a, would have been a different character if in the Legends continuity, because it wasn't in there yet. And the name of the guy actually on the Death Star was Cassio Tag. Then they brought the Marvel stuff back into the Legends continuity, and Ulrich then was able to exist alongside Cassio and Orman and Silas and Domina as a member of that family. So it's kind of interesting that the, one of the first things that Marvel does is sort of go back to one of the things they did before, which is we're going to take the tag from the movies and bring him back to life. The first time we did it and it turned out that they retconned him into a different character, now we're doing it for real. I love that the symmetry in that, but I wonder if it's going to be lost on a lot of people simply because most people aren't quite as versed on the early Marvel stuff from the 70s and 80s. I'd like to think that that is something you can only get on Star Wars Beyond the Films. You know, I mentioned, you know, when Palpatine had made those comments and brought in the other guy and then he started keeping secrets. I think that's the angle here that I'm most excited for. You know, I mentioned how this is kind of following the Empire side of things, but because it's specifically focused on Vader, we're starting to see him, you know, kind of do his own thing. He's kind of forming, in a sense, but not quite so fully, a second Empire under himself. And I think... You know, there's a phrase he uses at one point where he's like, I used to command armies, but that time is no more. And, you know, I, I like that we're starting to see he has his own agenda and he's starting to bring in his own resources and stuff. And I think for me, that's that's where I get confused because, you know, you're seeing this laid out like breadcrumbs, you know, and you're just seeing like one crumb. You're like, oh, what is that? It's not until you step back and you see, oh, it's a trail of breadcrumbs. And you start to put the full picture together that you start to appreciate what's going on in this series. I think that's my issue with the series in general. I think it's best served if you read it all at once versus in the singles because, you know, like as you said, Nathan, at the beginning when, when you had issue one and issue one of this, of the two series where the one was spoiling the other and you didn't really know at the time because you didn't have all the details. And this one, because of how it jumps across and stuff, like this droid ship, I didn't realize when I read it how it ties in and how it piqued Vader's interest enough to discover the characters he's discovering in the next issue. I didn't catch that on my first three read-throughs. It wasn't until the fourth one. And I was like, uh, oh, okay, the droid stuff. Oh, all right. So in a sense, it's kind of like he's, I don't know if it's like a, 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 a Hogan's Heroes kind of thing, but it feels like Vader's going out and just collecting his own ragtag group of rebels that he's going to, you know, rebel against his own empire with. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division, at www.starwarsreport.com. 
Episodes are also available on Zoom, Stitcher, and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. You can also find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms, or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans, so if you have any Star Wars and or Legends questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at SWBeyondFilms at StarWarsFanWorks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our sponsors, Audible. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate because Audible members can exchange any book within 12 months, that's one year, with no questions asked. So in this digital age, if you're thinking of making the switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. Saying thanks for listening, and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that this series will continue to be this good, yet maybe actually be easier to read by itself for people who don't want to read that other series. What are the odds that this will just be a compilation piece to the ongoing Star Wars, all the way to its end? What are the odds that some sand people are going to call us racist? Hey, we're not the racist. It's Vader that's racist. It's the white man in the black suit. Excuse me, we're not sand people. We are Tusken Raiders. And we are not masked. We are visually hidden. Vader, like Vader hiring Darth Vader to go look for Luke and then him Say showing up again. again at the end. Say that again. You said Vader hiring Darth Vader. Oh, sorry. For the 19 years after the vanquishing of the Jedi and his painful rebirth on volcanic Mustafar. Say it again without saying Mustafar or whatever the hell I just said. You tagged the rebel ship with a homing beeping. <laughs> a beeping? You think yourself so clever. But you have proved yourself. Oh, hold on, hold on. Before Fuck. you get to that, you, uh, uh, you, I'm sorry. You have to touch on this panel, mate. But the chosen one panel. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> You've got to say it in the okay. voice because it's just like I. I A good it. one. Well, I just I love the fact that he pointed out your chosen. Okay, and... yeah, I'll I'll use I'll I'll point out each of the different ball kicks by Palpatine here for you. <laughs> yes. Okay. Speaking of testicles, throwing. Okay. Vader is also quietly pursuing his own interests. The mysterious four-strong pilot who destroyed the Death Star and the identity. Of course. Of course. And I sweet. No, I do not need a Swedish made pump. Madonna? No, she's like McStuffins. Doc is her first name. Hang on just a second, I had a bad joke, but I need to look up something real quick. See, you don't have kids. That was a bad joke. That was a bad joke? <laughs> that was a bad joke? That was a bad joke. You don't know Doc McStuffins? I have no Doc idea who that is. Oh, no. Okay, okay, got Only it. tickle a little. <laughs> okay, I talk so much that stuff just starts happening.
bucks so much. And I'll put these comics away if I want. Damn, other issues of that there other series away, so I can just leave out the one that's pertinent. about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for Of course, and now that you're doing that, now is when it's breaking up. Alright, try that again. Alright. Saying thanks for listening, and don't quote us. Don't fuck Mark. <laughs>